Blog Talk Radio. The B-I-B-L-E-A, that's the book for me. The B-I-B-L-E-A, that's the book for me. The following sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never contacted Grace to You, we want to send you a free booklet by John called God's Sufficient Word. It will help you see that for every concern you have, every decision, every struggle, every sorrow you face, the Bible has the wisdom you need. Request your free booklet by writing to word at gty.org. That's word at gty.org. 
This offer is good in North America and Europe through December 2022. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time. Here's grace to you, Bible teacher John MacArthur. Open your Bible to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. And this is the continuing of our study on the book of Ephesians. And we come now to God's design for the family. God's design for the family. We've been working on the issue of marriage over the last few weeks. And by the way, I spent two weeks going through the section prior to this one today. Two weeks. And I think in the past when I did a series on Ephesians, there's probably at least ten messages. So if you want more of the Word of God in more depth and breadth, you can go back. Uh, you can go to the Grace to You website and you can download the Ephesians sermons from the past on the husband and the wife, as well as much more extensive messages on even the family, the children, and the parents. We're just going to hit some highlights this morning. There's a lot more at the Grace to You website. Now, when we talk about the divine design for the family, it's really summed up in four verses. They're really very simple and direct. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is a minimalist approach to the family, and yet it covers us everything. There, there are plenty of places you can go and get bad advice about the family. This is the foundation of all God's design for the family, directed at children and at parents. I don't need to belabor the point. We all know that the family is being assaulted I mean, it's just wholesale. Men are, are being assaulted by the culture and have been for, for a long time. Men are recast as toxic, a toxic patriarchy that has had a destructive impact on society. Women are the abused targets of this toxic patriarchy by being forced to stay home and have children and never find their real fulfillment which would come to them in the corporate location uh, because that's where women need to be fulfilled. That's the deception of this culture. Marriage is a form of bondage to this society, and much of it. Marriage is a form of bondage that needs to be ended so that all can be free to pursue whatever personal desires they, they, des they desire to fulfill without being encumbered by another person. So this leads to singleness. Singleness is sexual freedom and personal freedom. And of course, the, the, the children are obviously the victims of, of all of this distortion of God's design. Children have the right to live if they're not going to be a bother to you or they're not going to intrude on your freedom. Otherwise, you can kill them in the womb. Even after they're born, if they irritate you, you can medicate them, which is a horrendous thing. It should be considered a criminal act. People are in such a hurry to do that. I heard today that there are now new medications for puppies. 
to tone down the puppy irritations. If you don't like a puppy, don't get a puppy. <laughs> but when you have a child, to use medication on a child is a short-term act of irresponsibility that can lead to a long-term total disaster in a life. So we, we know all of this, and we've talked about the war on children. I did a series on it, so I'm not going to belabor all of that. But it's time for us to look at the simplicity of what Scripture says. And the Bible gives us here the formula for raising our children. We know what's wrong with the culture. We understand that, and we know how perverse it is to the degree that the medical profession, who are supposed to be the people that protect us from death and do no harm, basically are medicating our children into disastrous futures as well as mutilating them for the ideology of transgender insanity. We understand the horror of all of that. And we understand that the education system is perverting our children, exposing five-year-olds to drag queens. I mean, you know it all because it's all out there. We have to get back to the Word of God and get our sights set on how God views this relationship between parents and their children. And by the way, in Ezekiel 16, uh, the Lord says concerning the children that were being offered to Molech, that, that were being offered as human sacrifices to the god Molech, He says they are My children. In that sense, all children are God's children. Psalm 127 says, Children are a gift from the Lord. Children are a gift from the Lord. In Mark 10, Jesus said, Permit the children to come unto Me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. So you have to start with that. The children belong to the Lord, and you're given the responsibility to steward them for Him so that you can return them to Him. That's why you want to raise your child in the nurture or the discipline and instruction of the Lord. They belong to Him. Now, in order to successfully carry out the responsibility of raising children, there are two duties here. One on the part of the children, verses 1 to 3, and then on the part of the parents in verse 4. And as I said, there's so much more that can be said. I'm just going to give you an overview with a few select emphases. So let's look at verse 1, the duty of the children. This is obviously children who are old enough to understand obedience and to take responsibility for acting in an obedient way and acting in honor of their parents. So we're not talking here about infants. Children is ta tekna. There is a Greek word for infants that's not used here. This is the word of just generally offspring, children. It has reference to anyone from small children through young people before they start their own adult life. Any who are still under the care of their parents. All-inclusive. 
And they have two commands. One, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. It's obey and honor. Let's go together. Obedience is an action and honor is an attitude. And we'll say more about that in a moment. But basic to civilization, I mean basic to civilization, is the instruction to children to be obedient. The um, fifth commandment is to obey your parents, Exodus 20, verse 12. But I don't know if you recall this. Disobedience to parents was basically a prescription for an execution. In Exodus 21, 15, and 17, and also in Leviticus 20 and verse 9, the death penalty was prescribed for rebellious children. They are a devastation to society. And so the law of God was severe at the point of child rebellion. The death penalty came with it. Now the fact that children are to be command is Old Testament to start with. So go back to the book of Proverbs. And let's just hear a few simple statements. Chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. That's a command. Listen to your father and your mother. Chapter 2. My son, verse 1, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. Again, a command. My commandments. Chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Chapter 4. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. And then down in verse 4, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. This is, this is parental duty to command. Chapter 5, my son, verse 1, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Chapter 7, again, verse 1, My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. And it goes on like that. Instruction to be obedient. The parent is in the position of the commander. That is parental responsibility. And children are to obey. Now this is a challenging reality. And uh, there's a good summarization of the challenge of this in Luke chapter 2. And it's related to our Lord. Luke 2 and uh, verse 52 says concerning Jesus, He kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, without sin, 
perfectly righteous, as a man, nonetheless, he needed to increase in wisdom, he needed to increase in stature, he needed to increase in favor with God, and to increase in favor with man. Now these are the four categories in which children develop. Wisdom is mental, stature is physical, favor with men is social, and favor with God is spiritual. Now our children are not perfect, our children are not righteous, they are not sinless like the Son of God. So we have to take on this reprobate that showed up disguised as a tender baby. And we have to understand what we're dealing with. They have to grow mentally, physically, socially, spiritually. And we have to care for them in all four categories. We teach them how to think. We teach them how to work. We teach them how to relate to people. And we teach them how to relate to God. We make a place for them in the world in this instruction. This is our responsibility. And I would just emphasize again, the last thing you ever want to do is dull your child's understanding, dull your child's responses with medication. You need to see the full force of that child's fallenness. And parenting is the solution to that. Parenting. You have the responsibility not to somehow tranquilize your child. That accomplishes absolutely nothing. It provides no mental growth, no physical development, no social skills, and no spiritual development at all. This is the challenge of parenting, and it's, it's being set aside for medication in many, many cases. And as I said earlier, that, that should be criminal. That should be disallowed along with all the horrific transgender puberty blockers and surgeries that are popular. You have a responsibility to your children to see them for what they are, sinful, in need of the gospel, in need of development, that parenting is designed to provide. In chapter 30 of Proverbs, Verse 11, there is a kind of a man who curses his father and doesn't bless his mother. Verse 17, the eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. That is just graphic language. Speaking of a rebellious child, a child who mocks his parents. You have the responsibility to teach your children to be obedient. That's also in Colossians 3.20. Obedient because it's pleasing to the Lord. This is what parenting is. It's not developing their fashion sense. It's not turning them into some kind of highly motivated scholar. It's not making them into some kind of a great athlete. It is to elevate them mentally, physically, socially, and spiritually. 
by training them with the full faculties that you have, confronting the full faculties that they have. And you are all those things. You are mature physically, you're mature mentally, you're mature spiritually, you're mature physically, you're the model, you're the example, you get it, you understand it, and your job is to pass that on to your children. And it starts with teaching them to obey. Hupakuo, from which we get acoustic. It starts with them listening. Teach your children to listen and to submit to what you say. It's a present imperative. Keep on doing this. Keep on obeying. Obey your parents all the time in everything. And then it adds, in the Lord. In other words, because this is what pleases the Lord. The same thing is said about submitting to the government in 1 Peter 2.13. Do it as unto the Lord. Same thing is said about slaves in Colossians 3 and their masters. Slaves, serve your masters in the Lord. This is because all of this is God's design for the most productive life. And you do it without any caveats. You just obey all the time in the Lord. Why? This is so good. For this is right. Can I stop here for a minute and say, your children need to know what's right. That's the best answer you'll ever give your child when your child asks, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to do this? Why don't I get to do this? It's right or it's wrong. That's all. That's enough. What you're doing is showing them that in the world in which they live, there are absolutes. You don't need to give a philosophical defense of any, any behavior you require if it's consistent with the Word of God. And having your children obey is consistent with the Word of God. I remember my father saying to me many times when I said, Why, Dad, why? He said, Because I'm in charge. Because it's right. It's right. All you need to know is this is right. This, this whole culture doesn't buy absolutes. And that's what's being fed to our kids through all the media and educational outlets. That you, you can believe anything you want. Nothing is right. Nothing is wrong. And you can establish that from the very ground. The other familiar phrase echoing in my mind from my father was, because I said so. That's really important to talk like that. You do it because I said so, and I know what's right. You do it because it's right, and God says it's right. And teach your children that there are things that are absolutely right because they're right, and wrong because they're wrong, and God has made that determination. The word right there, by the way, is the word for righteousness that speaks of God and Christ and the righteousness imputed to us in salvation. So you do what God says because it's right. Let me just give you an illustration of that. In Nehemiah, I was reading this the other day, Nehemiah 9.13. It's not in the context of parenting, but it's an interesting statement. This is a bit of a rehearsal of Egypt's, of uh, yeah, Israel's exodus from Egypt. 
and coming to Mount Sinai. And in verse 13, we read this. Then you came down on Mount Sinai. This is looking at God's appearance on Mount Sinai to give the law. And you spoke, this is Nehemiah 9.13, and you spoke with them, that is with the people, from heaven. You gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you laid down for them commandments, statutes, and law. They are good, they are true, and they are just. Why? Because God said so. And He establishes what is right. Psalm 119.75 says, Your judgments are righteous. Hosea chapter 14, I think it's verse 9, same thing. Your commandments, your judgments are righteous. They're righteous because they come from you. So children are to obey righteous commandments from God passed on through their parents. Is there ever a time when you don't do that? Well, there's one explicitly laid out in the Scripture. Explicitly laid out. In the words of Jesus, listen to what He said. Luke 14. If you don't hate your father and mother, you can't be My disciple. At what point do you hate your father and mother? When your father and mother forbid you to come to Christ. For centuries, Jewish children and others have been forbidden to believe in Christ. They've been asked to curse Christ. That's where the break comes. Matthew 10, if you don't love Me more than father or mother, you can't be My disciple. So the assumption then is that children are to obey their parents in the Lord because their parents are in the Lord. You don't obey parents who are defying the commandments of Scripture. So, what is the child's responsibility? To obey because the parents are passing down the Lord's commands. And then in verse 2, honor your father and mother. That is the attitude that corresponds to the act of obedience. It's not reluctant. It's not rebellious. It's not unwilling. It's with honor. Tama'o. It actually can be used to mean awe or respect. It's used in John 5.23 of honoring God and honoring Christ. So this is how you obey, with honor. This means the attitude and the action. And then the Apostle Paul says, this is the first commandment with a promise. This is the fifth of the Ten Commandments. But this is the first one with a promise because it's unique and it's the first one in the human relationship section. The first four commandments have to do with your relationship to God. 
The last six commandments have to do with your relationship to each other. The first of those human relationship commandments has a promise. And what is the promise? Verse 3, So that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. That's quoted right out of Exodus 20, verse 12, the Ten Commandments. That God wrote in stone on Mount Sinai. It's absolutely essential that children both obey and honor their parents. Absolutely essential. Now, it's not natural. It is not natural. They, they, they are born reprobates. They are born rebellious. They are born with a fallen nature. They have to be taught obedience and honor. And go back to Proverbs with me for a few moments, and I'll give you some quick insight into how you develop that. Proverbs 3.11 My son... Do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe His reproof. For whom the Lord loves, He reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom He delights. The Lord disciplines. The Lord reproves. And He does it because He loves and so does a father. So there you see discipline and reproof. That's part of the training. I'll expand on that in chapter 10 of Proverbs. It gets really specific. Verse 13, A rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Anybody unclear on that? A rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Chapter 19 and verse 18. Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. You have a choice. You can discipline your son or desire his death. If you don't discipline your son, he's headed for disaster and death. So you have the choice. Do you want him dead? Do you want her dead or disciplined? In chapter 22, verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Some of it's cute. Some of it's not, but it's foolishness. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it from him. That is a promise, folks. Get out the rod. They need to associate pain with misbehavior. Chapter 23, verse 13. Do not hold back discipline from the child. What do you mean by that? Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. 
You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Do you understand? Spank your kids and save them from hell? Wow. And even in chapter 29, a couple of verses, verse 15 and 17, 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Verse 17, correct your son, he'll give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. So what, what do you do? How do you train the child to obey and honor? With discipline. What does that discipline look like? It, it looks like telling them what is right and forcing them to conform to what is right, both in attitude and action, by discipline that is painful. It's not sending your child to your room to think about something. You don't want to prolong it. A few whacks and it's over. But they remember. If you don't discipline your child, and by the way, this is where, again, you don't want a medicated child because you never, ever get to the issue of being able to correct them in their worst moments. You don't do this with a child. And Proverbs says, a child who is disobedient and dishonoring to parents is a grief to his mother, a rebel to his father, a sorrow to his parents, a disaster to his parents, a disgrace to his parents, a humiliation to his parents, and an abuser of his parents. That's Proverbs 28:24. He robs his father and mother. Children can abuse their parents. How? By their rebellion and dishonor being tolerated. Why do you do this? Verse 3, because you want it to be well with them and you want them to live long on the earth. Godly children will be a living a blessed life. That's quality. And they will be living a long life. That's quantity. If you want your children to have a rich, full, joyous, happy, peaceful, rewarding life, then discipline them to obedience and honor. And if you want them to live long, a long, full life, not short-cutted because of their sin and transgression and lack of self-control, then you discipline them. And we see that explicitly then in verse 4, don't we? The parents, what is your job? Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the duty of the parents. It is essential to raise a child with truth and discipline. Truth and discipline. So that the promise of a blessed life may become a reality. Truth and discipline. So that the sins of the fathers aren't passed on to corrupt the subsequent generations. And he gives you two positive, or two uh, approaches, one positive and one negative. The first is negative. But let's look at the word fathers. That's patera in the Greek, and it can be fathers as it's translated. 
but it also can mean parents. In, in the same exact word is used in Hebrews 11.23, speak of the parents of Moses. So I think we can embrace parents in this. Parents, here's the negative, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't make your children mad. Don't make them angry. That's an abuse. That's a terrible thing to do to a child. Make a child angry. There must have been a lot of angry children in biblical times. In Rome, Roman law was was called patria potestas. Father had the absolute right of life and death over his children. He could sell them into slavery. He could make them work in the fields. He could put them in chains and make them slaves. He could take the law into his own hands and punish them any way he wanted. He could even kill a child. When the child was born in the Roman world, the child was placed at the feet of the father. If the father stood to lift the child, it meant he acknowledged that he wished the child to live. If he turned and walked away, the child was killed. Unwanted children were often left in the Roman forum to become slaves or prostitutes. Seneca, the ancient Roman Stoic philosopher who lived right during the time of Christ, wrote this, We slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge the knife into the sick cattle. Children who are born weak and deformed, we drown. Children were abused brutally in the Roman world. So what Paul is saying right at the same period of time is revolutionary. Parents. There are four factors, I think, in parenting. You can understand it this way. The father's leading and discipline, the mother's love and care, the father and mother's very demonstrable affection for each other, and the closeness of the family. Fathers leading and disciplining, mothers loving and caring, both parents loving each other. So the child sees that, produces immense security and the closeness of the family. Don't let the family fragment. So do not provoke your children to anger. That should be obvious, but there are an awful lot of very angry children running around in the world. They're angry with their parents. They're angry with the culture. They're angry at everything. And it goes back to parenting. How do you make your child angry? Well, you know the ways you can do that. But let me remind you, you can make a child angry by overprotection, by fencing them in, confining them, distrusting them, never allowing them any freedom so that the relationship becomes a kind of bondage that is irritating. You can make them angry by favoritism. Why don't you act like your sister? Don't compare them with each other to defend a preference. You can make them angry by unrealistic expectations. This is huge. Don't crush them under the weight of your own pride and ambition. 
because you want somebody to know that you have a scholar for a child or a great musician for a child or a, a good athlete for a child. You set standards so high that they never feel like they can ever attain it. And that turns into deep bitterness and feelings of failure and rejection. Over the years, I vivid memories of two young people, college-age young people, who took their own lives to punish parents who were unrealistic, unfair, and never, ever encouraging, who set standards that were ridiculously high. They were so angry that they wanted to inflict punishment on their parents that their parents would never recover from, so they took their lives. You don't recover from that. You can cause your child to be angry by discouragement, negative reinforcement, no thanks, no rewards, no approval, no honor. It destroys motivation. Make them feel like they have to earn your love. It's a terrible thing. You're supposed to love with grace like God loves you. You can make a child angry by selfishness, failing to sacrifice for them. Children can become bitter when they feel like they're an intrusion into your life or a bother to your parents. You need to help them, serve them, do the things that communicate sacrificial love. You can make a child angry through impatience, failure to allow for childish behavior, for mistakes, for foolish things, for spilling things, breaking things, sharing ridiculous ideas and desires. Don't condemn them. Don't be impatient in their development. You can irritate and make your children anger, angry by neglect. So much of that. Mother not in the home. Father's not in the home. Neglect turns to bitterness and anger. And you can do that by verbal abuse, failure to restrain your very advanced vocabulary which you use to crush a child with sarcasm, ridicule, cutting, swearing, name-calling, whatever. A lot of ways to do this. The remedy is don't do it. The means is be filled with the Spirit, right? Go back to chapter 5, verse 18. What you, what you give to your child will shape your child. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. In other words, you train the child, you get the product. If a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, he learns to have confidence. If a child lives with praise, he learns to appreciate. If a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If a child lives with security, he learns to trust. If a child lives with approval, he learns to like himself. If a child lives with acceptance and friendship, he learns to love. So this is the challenge that parents have. Don't make your children angry. But on the positive side, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I don't have a lot of time to develop that. It should be obvious. Bring them up. Raise them. 
Discipline. We've talked about the discipline. This means you force them to conform to what is right. Instruction, of course, that's the truth that you convey to them. And the word has built into the word instruction is the idea of warning. Verbal instruction with a view to consequences if you don't obey. The goal is righteousness and love and obedience to God. And you start early. You remember Paul in 2 Timothy 3.15 said to Timothy that from a childhood you learned the Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Start the, the process of gospelizing your children from their childhood. Timothy was in the ministry because his mother and his grandmother had taught him the gospel from his childhood. Teach your children the gospel. Who is God? Who is Christ? What is sin? Teach them to repent, to reject all that dishonors God, to love and trust the Lord Jesus, to follow Christ in faithful obedience. This is the wisdom that comes from above. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. There's no question about that. And you have the responsibility to replace it with wisdom. If I could just give you quickly two suggestions to start with. One, teach your children to fear the Lord. And by that I don't mean just to be afraid, although there's a healthy fear that makes you respect the judgment of God. But Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Start with God. Teach them about God. Proverbs says that those who fear God prolong life, are blessed beyond wealth, enjoy an abundant life, and stay free from evil. Those who fear God sleep satisfied, foresee confidence in the future, are praised by others and have their prayers answered. Would you want all that for your child? Then teach your child to fear God. Fearing God is the foundation of worship and therefore the foundation of blessing. And the second thing I would say to teach your child, and this is really urgent, to teach your child to speak the truth. Teach your child to speak the truth. Fear God and speak the truth. Proverbs says those who speak truth offer words that endure forever, are a fountain of life, a tree of life, like choice silver, soul-satisfying, they feed others, they bring healing, they bring deliverance, because they are true, kind, wise, honest, pure, soft, gentle, slow to anger. They have mouths that speak for the Lord. On the other hand, you have some other mouths in Proverbs. The mouths of fools pour out crooked speech, folly, violence, hatred, malice, too many words, strife, ruin, slander, belittlement, gossip, disgrace, scorching fire, mischief, and perversity. Truth is not important in our day. It's not. This is of all generations a generation that must be taught to speak the truth. By the way, Psalm 58.3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, 
comma, speaking lies. You have a born liar in your child. And God hates lying. And I'll tell you something. If you're a good liar, you'll commit any crime. If you're a good liar, you'll commit any crime. If you have been disciplined not to lie, there's a restraint on you. Because if you're a truth speaker and lying is alien to this child, it's going to be hard for that child to admit doing evil. And thereby the child is restrained from doing evil. You want a child who is so truthful that you know in an instant by looking at their face when they're telling you a lie. Because it's alien to them. So, teach your children to fear God. Teach your children to love and speak truth. Again, any crime is possible to a liar. Be a true worshiper of God and a lover of truth. The fear of God and the love of truth. Parents, you teach that to your children and discipline that in a love, in a, in a relationship of love, consistency and example. Then children will be a joy and a delight not only to you, but to everybody else. So maybe some practical helps. I'll give you this. This is advice. Love your spouse more. Laugh with your children more. Listen to your children more. Pray more. Play more. Praise more. Pay more attention. And preach more by word and example. And your children will bring you joy. And more than that, they'll bring honor to the Lord. Our Father, we again are so grateful that the Word of God instructs us without equivocation, with, without confusion, in the simplicity of parental responsibility. But we understand it takes a spirit-filled mom and a spirit-filled dad to live the kind of life that supports the command to fear God and to speak truth. So, Lord, fill us with Your Spirit that we might behave toward one another and toward our children as Christ would. May we be Christ-like teaching them and training them, even disciplining them as You do us, out of love to conform us to what is right for Your glory and our good. Help us to feed them consistently on divine truth, taught and lived. And may this be understood, that this is our high calling. And nothing but godly, faithful parenting will accomplish in the life of our children what you desire.
May we all make a, a commitment, a new, fresh covenant with you to take on this responsibility as the greatest sacred trust we have. We talked earlier about our church being given all these children and stepping forward to develop all these educational opportunities. And as critical and as important as they are and as utterly devoted to them as we are, they'll not be able to replace mom and dad. They'll not overcome the failures parenting. So Lord, help us all to be filled with your Spirit, to be joyful worshipers, to be thankful and to be submissive to you, even in this responsibility of raising our children. And we do that for their sake, our sake, the sake of all the people who will ever meet them, both now and throughout their lives, that they may flourish and that they may be a blessing to everyone. And most important, that they may be able to give you glory. May we parent with that in mind. Forgive us for our failures and help us to be able to restore what we need to restore, to get a grip on what we need to get a grip on, to begin to do the things we need to do so that we can see your hand of blessing. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible teacher with grace to you. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit grace to use website at gty.org. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file. Get social with Truth Be Told Radio. Check us out on our Facebook like page at Truth Be Told Radio. You can find our website at truthbetoldradio.com. That is... T-R-U-T-H-B-E-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O dot C-O-M. Truthbetoldradio.com. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as Truth, the letter B, then Told Radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is Truth, the letter B only, not B-E, Told Radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M. Smilesandstuff.com. So stay social with us, and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio.
without excuse. This is Ken Ham, an Aussie transplant with a passion for sharing the truth of God's Word. Romans chapter 1 teaches that there's so much evidence for God in creation that those who don't worship God are without excuse. And such a truth is obvious. Consider the design of a hummingbird, a flower, or a massive blue whale. Or just think about the incredible order to the universe. Everything cries out in testimony to the Creator God. But is it enough? No. Scripture also teaches that faith comes by hearing and hearing from God's Word. We need more than just the partial revelation of creation. We need God's Word. It's God's Word that tells us who the Creator is, what our biggest problem is, and what the Creator has done about it. He sent His Son to save us. Evidence for the Creator and the truth of His Word is all around us. Discover answers at AnswersRadio.com and find other programs like this one by Ken at AnswersRadio.com. Oh, so strong God 
Is the creator an alien? This is Ken Ham, a publisher of the award-winning family magazine called Answers. The intelligent design movement argues that certain features in living things were designed by an intelligent cause. In other words, life is just too complex and intricate to be the result of purely natural processes. But is this saying enough? Well, consider this. In interviews, famous atheist Richard Dawkins has revealed he thinks it's possible aliens might have created life and seeded it on Earth. So for him, there's a creator. It's just aliens. It's not enough just to argue for a creator. We need to point people towards the creator, the God of the Bible. The Bible gives us a true history that makes sense of the world. More tomorrow. Discover more about the Creator and what He's done for us when you go to our website at AnswersRadio.com and find answers to your questions when you visit AnswersRadio.com. Writing this to you, I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions billions years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the Immutable, beautiful. You never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the same. You will never change, you will never change. Immutable, beautiful. You never change, never change. I was thinking just the other day how you reign supreme by far. Not just because of what you do, but simply because of who you are. There's none like you in existence. You are God and you need no assistance. Even though we show you resistance, you sent Jesus to close the distance that existed between God and man. According to your sovereign plan, we changed many times in one lifespan. I changed even since this song began. Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us. All that you do will certainly last. You are the rock that we can trust. Shows us back in eternity past. As long ago as that was. As long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the same. Immutable, 
about my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies. Still you pursue relentlessly. At times I wonder how this can be. Surely it's because of the cross. We Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of this great cost. I'm saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust he died. So even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished, that cannot change. And with this knowledge, I am free. Forever this grace, it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was, as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, Who is the creator? This is Ken Ham, editor of the eye-opening book Glasshouse Shattering the Myth of Evolution. Yesterday we learned that the intelligent design argument isn't enough. We have to introduce people to the creator and his word. You see, creation proclaims there's a God, but the world around us is full of hurt and brokenness. So what does that say about the creator? Well, you have to understand the history in God's word. The Bible teaches that God created a perfect world, but the first people sinned against God and brought death and suffering into the creation. Today we're looking at a broken, groaning world, not the one God made. Now each of us is a sinner too, deserving death, but God sent his son to die in our place and rise from the dead. There's more to discover about the history and God's word when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again and others like it when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. God, the truth, so we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest group of Christ. Put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crafting our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to set cash from the furnace. Through Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the seed that was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the greater Andy. Came a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts easily. Posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority. So we both in a 
most exalted King Christ supreme. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer. No God is realer, yeah. We can take any time in the scripture. What you get is a prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night, and it's bright in the might in the diamond mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the law, that he found low. He was tamed and floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the crown. Yo, Satan had a trip hold on him. Fight for the rope, but dope and then. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the end. That's what we hoping in. Risen on his spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hell bound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born. I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout. I was fought with a price. We gotta hope it won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly proportionate. Everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one. Intrinsic, infinite son. Preeminent the name par excellence. Prenom phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon. You see the fiber of cosmology. The abba of astronomy. He's part of we of pottery. It's shocking Jesus died for me. The father he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees. You gotta see his odyssey. From sovereignty and lottery. To poverty and robbery. To resurrected bodily. Apocalyptic prophecy. He's stopping all the mockery. And scholarly snobbery. That don't acknowledge him properly. You ought to be on bended knee before thee. Preeminent. It's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment. Study the development from Old to New Testament. You'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age. It's relevant. Crisis on its center stage. Forget religious sentiments that center on man. But something less is what you're settling. He is the most excellent. Exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance. Yeah. The sin of sinners that separated and segregated. That severed the relations between man and his maker. And placed Christ on his costly cross. And compensated his life, death, and resurrection. Emancipated and gave us freedom from it all. Freedom from the effects of the fall. Freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and from the law. So the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause with hands raised, praising his name, singing glory to God. <laughs> God's Word hasn't changed. This is Ken Ham on a mission to call the church back to God's Word and the Gospel. It's been hard to watch many in the church cave to the pressure of the culture by radically reinterpreting the Bible's teaching on marriage and sexuality. But think about this. If we need to reinterpret all of the Bible's teachings on sexuality, this means the church has misunderstood the Bible for 2,000 years. And it means we're only properly understanding it when there's massive pressure to change what God's Word says. Those who accept homosexual behavior are reading their ideas into the Bible, making it say what they want it to say. But God's Word has said the same thing since it was written. Marriage was designed by God and marriage is one man and one woman. Be equipped to start your thinking with God's Word in every area when you go to AnswersRadio.com and subscribe for free email insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com. Bop, 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 bop,
that built a full-size Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati. Many Christians today claim the Bible affirms loving, committed, gay relationships, but their radical reinterpretations of the Bible put sinful man as the authority over God's Word. And this isn't the first time this has happened. In Genesis, Satan tempts Eve with the question, Did God really say? He got her to question God's word and put her own ideas and desires above God's clear instruction. And the results were catastrophic. This new attack on God's word is no different. It's just another version of, did God really say? Instead of questioning God's word in our sinfulness, we need to trust it. It's God's word that's our authority. 
Plan your visit to our full-size Noah's Ark when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. Children are free through December 31st, so bring the whole family. Visit AnswersRadio.com. We kick it old school. 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 Come on, come on, don't miss the latest craze. Hit it for a minute, then it's on to the next phase. Easy come, easy go, the marketers will hack it. The only change that comes, winds up in a pocket. piece of bread we act as if the holy word of god is all but dead all we need to know is right there on the pages why are we obsessed with who the guy on stage is it's the hottest dance get the latest buzzy you're gonna find out jesus wasn't very fuzzy was he? you can take the news you can social media, a sharp Christian named Courtney said, the Lord Jesus Christ was never depressed. Well, the response was explosive. People were listing every verse where Jesus wept or felt grief or had sorrow as evidence that he was depressed. Some went as far as saying that if you think Jesus wasn't depressed, that's blasphemy. 
If you search for the definition of depression, the first answer you get is feelings of severe despondency and dejection. Despondency is a state of low spirits caused by loss of hope or courage. Does that describe Jesus' sorrow? At any point did the Son of God, our greatest example for trusting in the Father, lose hope in the Father? The Holy Spirit tells us not to be anxious. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Would Jesus, who is sinless, have been in such a state God's Word tells us not to be in? Isaiah 53, 4 says that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But that is not synonymous with being depressed. Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You can certainly experience sadness, as Jesus did, and not lose heart. Now, you probably said about your sadness, I feel depressed. We may use words like depression or anxiety loosely to describe our emotions, but considering their actual definitions, they describe worldly sorrow, not how we are to grieve as Christians. The Apostle Paul said we may grieve, but not as the rest who have no hope. When you are sad, trust in God's word. Psalm 94:19 says, When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. When we understand the text. Name the single most terrifying verse in the Bible. Did you guess Ananias and Sapphira? Wrong. Did you guess the fall of man and sin's consequences? That's scary. No, 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 no! How's about Romans 3? Uh, nobody's righteous. No, no! What about not everyone who says, Lord, Lord? That's a scary verse. New. But it's not the scariest verse in the Bible, according to, well, me. All of these verses are scary in that they inspire a deep fear of the Lord within us. That's a good thing, but the most terrifying verse in the Bible, if and you ask me, and I know you didn't, I would say it's Mark 10:18. Jesus speaking with the rich young ruler, and he informs this self-righteous fellow, nobody is good, only God alone is truly good. Now, why would that be terrifying? How can God's goodness put a fear of the Lord in us to explain here all oh, this kid who fresh-faced and up-and-coming lots of potential Paul Washer it's terrifying to know that God is good because we are not so what does a good God do with people like us sinners we've sinned against God we've sinned against one another we've sinned against nature we've sinned against everything all of creation calls for our condemnation. If God is truly just, then what does he do with us? If your conscience hasn't been entirely unplugged, you know the answer to that question. The problem is most people's consciences are seared. So how can you help someone understand only God is good and you're not Satan doesn't want you to hear this teaching. So I'd like you to gird up the loins of your mind, squeeze that four inches of sponge between your ears, and listen intently to this quote from A.B. Earl, a famous American evangelist who had 150,000 converts stuck to substantiate this claim. Listen to what he says. 
is that I have found by long experience, that's the true test, that the severest threatenings of the law of God have a prominent place in leading men to Christ. They must see themselves lost before they will cry for mercy. They'll not escape danger until they see it. And doesn't that make sense? Who's going to cry for mercy if he doesn't realize he needs mercy? Who's going to flee from danger if he doesn't realize there's danger? <clears throat> and the convincing agent that God has given us to convince a man or a woman that they desperately need God's forgiveness is the law of God. The Prince of Preachers, and I think Charles Spurgeon said this too, they will never accept grace till they tremble before a just and holy law. The law serves a most necessary purpose, and it must not be removed from its place. The law cuts into the core of evil. It reveals the seat of the malady and informs us that the leprosy lies deep within. Yeah, leprosy. Enough of the Prince of Preachers. Let's get to that fresh-faced kid. If a just God simply pardons the wicked, he is no longer just. If a holy God calls the wicked, to himself, to have fellowship with him, he's not a holy God. So the great question of all the scripture is this, how does a just God pardon wicked men and still be just? How does a holy God call wicked men into fellowship with him and still be holy? If you want someone to tremble before that just and holy law, show them the tension that exists. God is good. We're not. But God is rich in mercy, but he can't just pardon people without justice being satisfied. How can that tension be broken? The answer is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. In the cross of Jesus Christ, we see this tremendous, unique revelation of the fullness of God's attributes. God is just. He must condemn our sin. God is love. And so he becomes a man in his son lives a perfect life as a man and then goes to that tree and on that tree the sins of his people are cast upon him and all the justice of God all the wrath of God that we deserve is thrown down upon the head of Christ the exact measure that was required in order to fully satisfy the justice of God do you want your kids to be saved terrify them Show them that only God is good. Open the law. Let them tremble. And you say, but I don't want my kids to be afraid of God. Oh, yes, you do. Fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. Here's an acronym that might help you keep your evangelistic encounters on course with your kids or anybody else. Ready? Very clever. Who, who, what, what, what? Who is God? Holy, righteous, just. Who is man? Not holy, righteous, and just. What should God do with us? H-E double hockey sticks. What has God done for us? He sent his son to die in our place. What must a man or woman do to be saved? Repent and believe. So might I suggest, here's what you can do with all of this. Wait till you're all at the dinner table and then bring out those terrifying verses. Let your kids be scared by understanding God is good, then lead them through the laws of Sinai to Mount Calvary, where they can understand their God died for them while they were yet sinning, because he is that good. Hey, I'm John, host of Road Trip to Truth. Join us 
as we hit the road. I think the Bible's irrelevant. Take your own perception and make what you want of the Bible. Who's to say that my God is false and yours isn't? The New Testament is the best attested to document from the ancient world. I honestly don't think you should wait till marriage. Sex came from God. It's a gift that God has given a married couple to enjoy. These are the images from Tomorrow Clubs in Ukraine we love to share with you, but not today. Currently, millions of believers are experiencing devastation, mass displacement, and the Tomorrow Clubs, with an extensive network of clubs, churches, and Christians in hundreds of communities throughout Ukraine, is uniquely positioned to help people with their physical needs. Would you please visit tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched and join them to help our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. The aspect of heaven and hell sounds like a fairy tale. Do you think there's any evidence for God? No. What about everything around you that's made? Could you make a tree or a flower or a bird or a puppy or a kitten? No. Could anybody do that? No, you can't. There has to be an initial cause, someone intelligent to create all those things. Did you hear that? A complete turnaround. Someone who said there's no evidence for God's existence suddenly acknowledging his existence. Why? Because God has given light to every man. The work of the Lord is written upon his heart. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made. So it's evident that I'm dealing with a reasonable person. So what do you think God requires of you, Jack? To do my best. Jesus was asked, what's the first and greatest commandment? He said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and your strength. And then he said, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Someone says, what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? Jesus said this man was minding his own business when thieves fell upon him and beat him. A religious man walked past, didn't help him. And this Samaritan bathed his wounds, poured in oil and wine, picked him up, put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn or a hotel. And he said to the hotel manager, if this man spends any money while I'm away, let me know and I'll pay it all back. That's what it means to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And none of us can reach that. But we should love God. He gave you your eyes. Everything you see is because God gave you your eyes. He gave you a brain to think, food to eat. He gave you a wonderful family, blue sky, the morning sunrise. And we don't love him with heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do you know why? No. Because we're rebels. Every single one of us. Now, do you think you're a good person, Jack? I believe so. How many lies have you told? That's the ninth commandment. Probably enough. Have you ever stolen something? Sally, yeah. When you were a kid. So you started young. What do you call someone who steals? A thief. So what are you? Not a thief. <laughs> I grew out of that. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yeah. Okay. Do you love your mum? Yeah. Would you ever use her name as a cuss word? I don't think so. Of course you wouldn't. That'd be disrespectful. Instead of saying SH, to use her name to express disgust, it'd be a horrible insult. And you've taken the name of the God, the holy name of God, the God who gave you life and gave you a mother and used it in place of the S word to express disgust. Jack, that's called blasphemy. So serious in God's eyes in the Old Testament, it was punishable by death. So hang in there, one to go. Jesus said, if you look at a woman and lust for her, you commit adultery with her in your heart. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Yeah. You had sex outside of marriage. So here's the summation. This is how you're going to do on Judgment Day. I'm not judging you, but you've told me you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, fornicating, self-righteous, adulterer at heart. 
If God judges you by those Ten Commandments on Judgment Day, and we've looked at four, you're going to be innocent or guilty? Probably guilty. Heaven or hell? Probably hell. Do you know how you can be saved from death and hell? Repent. That won't help you. That's like saying to a judge, Judge, I committed the crime, but I won't do it again. I'm really sorry. He's going to say, good, you should be sorry. You're going to jail. So repentance, which is saying you won't do it again and you're really sorry, can't save you on man's court, and it's certainly not going to save you on Judgment Day. You need something else to save you from hell. Do you know what it is? No. You probably do, but you don't understand it. Because you don't understand it, you don't value it. You need God's mercy, and God's mercy was exemplified through the cross. You've heard of Jesus dying on the cross? We broke God's law, the Ten Commandments, and Jesus paid the fine. That's what happened on the cross. That's why he said, it is finished, just before he died. He was saying, paid in full. We broke the law, he paid the fine. Like, like a judge looks at a criminal and says, there's a stack of speeding fines here, but someone's paid him. You can go. Even though you're guilty, he lets you walk because someone paid your fine. And Jack, even though you and I are guilty of a multitude of crimes, we haven't, we haven't even looked at your secret sins that God has seen. Even though we're all guilty of a multitude of crimes, God can let us live forever. He can take the death sentence off us because Jesus paid the fine and full on that cross and then he rose from the dead and defeated death. And all you have to do to find everlasting life for you and for your children is repent of those sins. That won't save you, but that's on the way to getting saved. You repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. It's like you can turn to a parachute. That turning won't save you, but trusting in the parachute will. When you jump, it'll save you. And when you pass through death, if you're trusting in Jesus, the Savior, all your sins are washed away. And when you stand before God on Judgment Day, you're clean. Because your sins have been washed away and you've been given what's called the righteousness of God in Christ. Is this making sense? Yeah. You're going to think about what we talked about? Definitely. Jack, you're, are you married or are you living with a lady? Mm, I'm not married. You got kids? Yeah. What are you going to say to your kids when they say, Daddy, why am I going to die? You've got no explanation or answer for them. You're going to leave them in death. So, man, you've got to think about your family, not just yourself. So if you get right with God, you let go of those sins and say, God, forgive me, I've sinned against you. Please create in me a clean heart. If you get saved, then you'll come out of darkness into light. You'll find everlasting life, and you'll lead your family in that, into that light, too. You hear what I'm saying? I hear you. So when are you going to repent and trust in Christ? Today. You serious? Serious. Okay. Can I pray with you? Sure. Father, I pray for Jack. Thank you for his open heart today. Thank you for leading me here today to speak to him. And I pray that he will think about his secret sins, think about what you did on the cross, and find a place of true repentance, true sorrow for sin, and this day be born again with a new heart and new desires, all because of your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you have a Bible at home? Yeah. Can I give you a Gospel of John? You know what a Gospel of John is? Fourth book of the New Testament. So, so do you think you'll read it? Indeed I will. I will take some time out. You've made my day, Jack. Great to meet you. Same here. Well, hi. I'm Ken Ham, CEO of Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, and the Ark Encounter. On May 6, 2023, a glamorous event will occur in London, England. The Coronation of the King. You know, it's been 70 years since we've seen the coronation for a British monarch. And so the world is going to be watching. People are going to flock to London. And that's why Answers in Genesis USA and Answers in Genesis UK are partnering with our friends at Living Waters for what we call 
Operation London. Now this is a unique event where we have the opportunity to be able to reach an enormous number of people with the message of the saving gospel. And so I'm going to let my friend Ray Comfort give you all the details, but imagine being able to be in London and hand out thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of these special tracks which Living Waters has produced, and they're powerful. So Ray, why don't you give them all the details? This is the British Royal Coat of Arms, and that crown on the lion's head is symbolic of the dominion of King Charles III, especially as defender of the faith. Even though King Charles is clearly not born again on May the 6th, he'll publicly make an oath before God to defend the Church of England. That's what defender of the faith means. This will be done in England's most famous church, witnessed by hundreds of millions from around the world. In other words, the world is going to church. We'll all join in a service about Jesus, God, and the Bible. King Charles will lay his right hand on the Bible and swear before God to uphold the scriptures. He'll hold the royal scepter as Solomon held the royal scepter. And when he's crowned as with Solomon, all the people will cry, God save the king. And then he'll be anointed with oil, symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And all this will be done in the name of Jesus. And the secular media will be forced to explain the symbolism. This is a massive and unprecedented opportunity to reach millions with the gospel. And the media is not going to ignore the service because they know this world's insatiable appetite for anything royal. And this coronation is the crowning glory of them all. Those who come to London will see this gospel track as irresistible memorabilia. And because of the nature of the church service, it naturally flows into the gospel. It is with all this in mind that we're inviting Christians from around the world to go to London. If you're interested in attending this outreach, go to livingwaters.com forward slash London for more information. Again, the world is not only going to love these, they're going to treasure them. We have had over 3 million printers. All we need is thousands of laborers to come to London for a day. Will you come? If you can't, show this video at your church. Take up a collection and sponsor a team. Don't let this pass you by. If you live down under, join the team that's coming from Australia. We're sending our television crew from California so you can be part of an Operation London television special. Teams from Living Waters Europe and answers of Genesis will be there. Become a point person in your city. Share this vision with pastors and youth leaders. Then bring a busload to London. You've wanted to do something great for the kingdom of God, and this is your chance. This can be as big as we make it. If you know of good churches, evangelistic ministries, or key people in Europe who care about the lost, send them the link to this video. Just one text or email sent to the right person could change the eternal destiny of multitudes. And please pray for Operation London. For details of how you can be involved, go to livingwaters.com forward slash London.
Alright, here we go, kids, gather round A brand new sound to praise the one who has the crown In today's lesson, we'll talk about the Holy Bible The most important book we all need for survival The Bible is God's message for this world It's for every man and woman, every boy and girl And that message is that if we turn to Christ And place our trust in Him, we'll have eternal life Now when we're at church, yeah, it's fun, it's cool When we hear a lot of stories in Sunday school Like Jacob and Noah, Moses and Daniel, David and Jonah, Joseph and Samuel, but all the little stories tell one big story about the God who made all things for his glory. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero and his name is Jesus. Where should we begin? When God made the whole wide world just by speaking By his great might he said let there be light The light he called day and the dark he called night He made the earth and the seas The dirt and the seeds The herds and the trees The birds and the bees But the big surprise God had up his sleeve On day number six created Adam and Eve Made in the image of the beautiful most high God told them be fruitful and multiply Everything's yours but that tree do not try Cause in the day you eat it you're surely gonna die I'm sure you know the rest. Yes, they failed the test. And ever since then, the world has been a big mess. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero, and his name is Jesus. Today, the greatest saints had their flaws on full display, and it was written down for us in order that we may recognize that Christ is the only way. Adam ate forbidden fruit and lost his life. Abraham got scared and lied about his wife. Sarah laughed to herself when she heard God's promise. Rebecca encouraged her son to be dishonest. Aaron used crafts to make a golden calf. Moses got mad, struck the rock with a staff. David sinned greatly, even lost his baby. And Jacob, he was just all around shady. The point is not to make light of our flaws, but to show that every one of us needs the cross. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero when his name is Jesus.
did it to show off his glory and worth. In Genesis 1, what we see in each verse is God made a world that is truly diverse. From icebergs to insects, tornadoes to trees, from lions to lizards, flamingos to fleas. Each in their own way, they're God, they are praising. Their differences cry out, God is amazing. But the crown jewel of the work of his hands are made in his image, both woman and man. We're not accidents, we are part of his plan. Yup, God made me and you. Let's go. is different, unique in their frame. God made them all, each kind and each sport. He made some people tall and some people short. Dark skin, light skin, and all in between. In each color and shade, his beauty is seen. The Lord knows the number of hairs on your head. Whether brown or black, whether blonde, gray or red. What some call ethnicity and others call race. We should celebrate as the gift of God's grace. You're wonderfully made from your feet to your face. Yup, God made me and you. Let's go. We see what God's love is about There's no type of person that Jesus left out Because Jesus died and rose from the grave All those who trust in the Lord will be saved In the book of Revelation, chapter number 7 The church from all times is gathered in heaven Each tribe and people, language and nation All thanking God for the gift of salvation Together, forever, with saints of all kinds Through each the glory of the Lord's gonna shine This is exactly what God has designed When God made me and you, let's go no, we all